Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Pixelist Podcast, the podcast about all the nerdy things we love and enjoy. I'm Will. That's Blake. I got to start. I got to start <laughs> pointing the other way. <laughs> no one cares, but got a new yeah. camera recently, and now it's mirrored differently than it was before. Anyway, Will, Blake, we're the Pixelists. Uh, Hello. Today, today we're here to talk about some critical role. Back at it. Ooh, episode 45 of Campaign 3, Ominous Lectures. Ominous Lectures. And we're heading towards episode 50, the big 5-0. The big 5-0 is coming. Um, that's right. And uh, there actually is no episode this week for anyone uh, that may right. have forgotten because we have the official premiere and launch of season two of The Legend of Vox Machina this Friday. Um, so they're taking off this week, but I believe they said that they will not be taking off the final Thursday of the month right. like they normally do. So they're just kind of swapping that. So hopefully you guys are excited for season two. Blake and I definitely are. And, uh, we will be covering that on the channel. Um, going to be diving back into some Easter egg breakdowns and then, uh, I'm pretty sure we'll be doing like our normal podcast reacting to it as well. We will become a slave to the video editing software. That's right. We... Yeah. Blake's. Blake's been As diving we... <laughs> in into the, the hellhole of video editing this these past couple days, and I'm gearing up to do the same for those Easter egg breakdowns. So yeah. I'll uh the editing's not us. the editing's not super bad. It's when YouTube blocks the video because it's like there's copyright content in here. So that's the really obnoxious part. So yeah, and actually on that note, if any if any of y'all that listen to this or or watch this happen to be like video editing or YouTube copyright savants. I would love to maybe pick your brain because um, that's something I dealt with last year when I was making the breakdowns and I'm sure I'm going to have to run into that wall again this year. So sure. I would uh, love to learn from anybody that like knows what they're talking about. Um, yeah. And Ken from Simon Bella gave us some good advice, um, but it's still, it is a journey. So <laughs> anyway, uh, you want to dive into the episode or maybe other announcements? Um, only other announcement is, uh, we are covering the last of us, uh, on our channel. If you haven't checked it out yet, new show on HBO phenomenal. Uh, we put out our podcast discussing the first episode of that. Uh, we're both really excited for that first season. So, uh, if you're watching the show too, uh, check that out. Um, yeah. And if you want to see our reaction video to it, <laughs> just wait till YouTube lets us post it. So <laughs> hopefully coming soon. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, other than that, that's all I got. So uh, if you're new to our channel, uh, we like to recap every episode of Critical Role, and that's what we are about to dive into here. Uh, but we cut out that recap from the podcast and host it separately on YouTube for your viewing convenience. So if you happen to find yourselves on that recap video and you would like to hear Blake and I's full thoughts on the episode, theories, and all that jazz, uh, we will link to it in the description box below. Uh, but without further ado... Uh, Blake, if you want to start us off on this one, episode 45, Ominous Lectures. Yeah, so episode 45, Ominous Lectures. Uh, the party, remember from the previous episode, they're in the warehouse interrogating Toldis with um, Plains writer Rin, who has shown up and uh, has essentially charmed this person to the extreme. And the party is thinking about their next steps. It seems like the next steps is going to be to move on to the Feywild and connect with old Nana uh, Morrigan. Uh, before they do that, there's a couple of loose ends. One, notably, uh, where is Ashton? Uh, two, there is um, Professor Sumal, who did the study for um, going way back when for um, Liliana. Um, 
uh, Imogen's mom. Um, and then we have um, FCG, who also wants to meet uh, Vitro Asham uh, to find out more about his origin story. So the party basically tells Ren, like, hey, let's table this just for a little bit, and let's kind of go wrap all these loose ends up. So Ren's like, all right, well, just let me know. Uh, Imogen casts Sending to Ashton and basically is like, where the heck are you? What's going on? And um, realizes she doesn't have a spell slot to hear back from Ashton, but kind of just <laughs> assumes like he would know kind of what we would be doing, right? Um, additionally, uh, um, Laudan decides to have Pate uh, watch Toldus, who's in the corner, and sort of keep watch to make sure that uh, there's no funny business with Toldus. The party heads over to the seminary where they do meet up with Ashton who has been absent for two episodes. Um, Talison's been absent and Talison begins to tell them a story of the utter shenanigans of what he had been doing uh, for the previous two episodes and basically tells a story of how he saw someone in the crowd named Violet who was part either of his old crew or someone he had worked with in the past and they connected eyes with sort of like this nonverbal message of like, hey, we should probably talk. From there, he realized that Violet was in a whole mess of things. He himself got wrapped into some shenanigans that involved mobsters, uh, kidnapping, uh, a massive fight in a kitchen, uh, <laughs> getting knocked out, waking back up, fighting in a kitchen again, um, including what he called the feds. Basically, it wasn't really clear if it was like a big sting op operation or what. But all that to say, the officials of EOS are essentially grateful for, you know, one less mobster off the streets. And as Ashton puts it, he makes a ton of money on this. Um, but either I think when he gets knocked out, maybe he loses it or something. But all that to say, he says he has a lot of dough and he has quite a bit of baked goods that he's brought back with him. <laughs> so <laughs> um, as well as an apron that he's still wearing. So. They exchanged some more notes. Uh, Ashton mentions that he did, in fact, hear about the Ruby Vanguard um, and that the city is pretty much on edge, not just because of this Ruby Vanguard, um, this this person from the Dwendalian imp Empire who's shown up, uh, presumably, presumably lewdness, but also the Judicators from Vasselheim. Uh, the good guys and the bad guys are very much skittish and on edge. All that to say, they agree to head to the seminary. Um, FCG uh, basically finds uh, Vitro Sham's office. And like we've seen in previous episodes, um, Vitro is immediately enamored with FCG and is like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Brings FCG in. Um, turns out he does know Joe from Bosros and begins to tell FCG a little bit about a little bit about his backstory and says you know you are a harmonious air morton from aor and that the technology is gone there's no way to create any more of them but he is a diplomatic person he's a a, a creature of peace uh to which FCG says oh i'm really surprised i thought maybe i was like a trojan horse kind of murder bot and Vitra says basically that it could be possible. There was a time period called um, the Care and the Culling where uh, it wouldn't be uncommon for a Aermorton to be gifted as a, as, a, as a gift. And it turns out it's a crazy murderer. So definitely says there's something to that. 
uh, before chaining FCG up, lifting him up, and basically opening him up and tinkering around on his insides. He does mention something, a um, arcane, um, oh man, what was it called? Like an arcane regulator or um, arcane accumulator is what mm. it was called. And basically says like, yeah, it's a little damaged. Unclear if this is uh, related to FCG going off off edge and going crazy. But basically says that he can tweak it, work on it, fix it. But says it was it's going to need constant maintenance. And also mentions that it is so powerful it could explode the entire building that they're in. <laughs> oh. um, just a casual note. Um, uh, in addition to this, uh, Vitro basically says like, hey, how can I get in touch with you in the future? And FGG is like, uh, should I say Lord Esteros, even though he's dead? Like thinking about like where to send like a letter and finally says the Spire by Fire is a great place, place to reach out to him. Um, beyond that, uh, FGG does ask for some modifications and says, hey, is there a way that you, I could open up my stomach and bake something like an oven, <laughs> which is an interesting nod to a supposed feat that he possibly picked up, the chef feat. Uh, so yep. it seems like we have some confirmation of that. Moving on from there, we have um, uh, Imogen and Fern who make their way to Khadija Sumal's office. They knock on it. The person's like, oh, I'm busy, is pretty much refusing to open the door until Imogen basically says, you know, hey, I'm, I'm trying to find out more about my mom. I think you um, know something about the Ruidus born. We hear seven locks unlock. This person has barricaded themselves in their office. And Sumal basically gives them the scoop on their study from years ago and confirms that uh, Liliana was a participant in the study who came with an enormous amount of questions. Uh, also mentions that Adahan Thule was a participant of the study, though notably Adahan already knew of the Omen archive and began being somewhat questioning of the whole process, which really made them all very skittish and actually caused them to end the study. They also studied these people called the Exaltants, which we know is Imogen and uh, Adahan, uh, as well as Liliana, uh, these extremely connected um, people to Ruidus. And how these people, when they were, quote, very connected, would have dreams, like we've seen with Imogen, where the Raylora would show up. These entities of the dream that would sometimes be friendly, would sometimes be sad, empathetic, and sometimes very aggressive and angry. Um, all that to say, moving on from that conversation, um, they begin to ask even more about uh, Imogen's mom. And Sumal basically says, yeah, in fact, I have um, that last session I had with uh, Ileana, and let me read it to you. And begins to read that last um, journal article when suddenly the locks open up, all seven of them, the door opens, and an older elven man with silver hair enters the room. Um, Will, you want to take it from there? Yeah, so... Uh... That's where we go to break, and we pick back up with Fern basically standing now, looking at this uh, gentleman that has come through the door. Sure, and, Fern. <laughs> yeah, and they quickly recognize it to be Ludinus Deleth. Um, so Fern is kind of standing between Ludinus and 
the rest of the room, but more importantly, you know, Professor Sumal. And so Fern tries to distract him, basically being like, hey, you know, we're having girl talk right now. Like we're having tea. Like come back just a little while. Like, you know, we'll be done. Um, and keeps trying to like kind of bar his entrance, saying things like that. Uh, Ludinus isn't having it. Um, and after Fern's like second or third time of saying something like that to him, he actually casts a spell on her and Matt calls for Ashley to make a wisdom saving throw. Um, she actually gets, I believe, a 26. So she succeeds whatever he was trying to do. Um, and Ludinus, you know, thinks like, oh, well, that's cute. And he kind of still just shoves past her anyway. Um, and he then officially introduces himself as the Martinet Ludinus Deleth of the Cerberus Assembly. Um, and he walks up to uh, Professor Sumal and tells her that you've been avoiding the assembly's requests for weeks now. Um, he then like snaps his fingers or waves his arm. Uh, I forget like what exactly. It's not yeah. important. And basically casts arcane lock on the door and it slams shut. Um, he says, you know, those files should have been sent to BMI now. And she's she says like, oh, he's oh. in a museum. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> she says, uh, that's Travis, by the way, uh, the voice of Reno. Um, fun fact. Uh, he, he basically, or she says, oh, you know, we sent everything your way. Like, you know, you should have it. Um, and then Ludinus casts another spell and basically immediately charms her. And she becomes essentially just like a robot or a puppet and, you know, obliges his every will. And once he does that, she reaches below the desk, brings out the papers that she was just, you know, talking to Imogen and Fern about and hands them to Ludinus. He then, you know, puts them in his coat and turns to Imogen and remarks that, you know, uh, Sumal is right. You do look just like your mother. Uh, and he says he's heard of her prowess. And then he takes a look at Fern and comments that, oh, you're not quite an exultant, but you two are Ruidus born. And then he asks what their business with Professor Sumal was. And Imogen just says, you know, I was looking for my mother. And Ludinus says, well, you know, I know your mother. So if you have any questions, I might be able to answer them for you. Um, and he says he's extremely grateful for Liliana and all that she's done. And that Imogen would be or should be proud. Uh, Imogen then asks, well, how can we help you? You know, she's trying to fish for more information, obviously not being genuine and wanting to help him. Um, and Ludinus asks if she feels the pull northward. Um, and Imogen actually confirms with Matt that she does feel this, but, um, she does indeed. She feels like this slight pull to the North. Uh, and he says, follow your instincts, the both of you, um, if it's there. And he says, other than that, if you want to help, just stop resisting. Uh, then Fern asks if he's Ruidus born. And he says, he answers it vaguely. He says, uh, I have my connections to the red moon. Uh, so Imogen then asks, do you speak to, does it speak to you directly? And he says, I've had conversations. Uh, he then asks if they know what they're doing. And Imogen says, you know, we know we've picked up bits and pieces. And she again tries to kind of play into this facade to try to, you know, like, I guess, gain his trust. And she says, like, you know, the power is so enticing. And his response to that is, you know, power is just a tool, um, a tool to, you know, get what you want done. And so she asks, if you guys succeed, will the power go away? And he says, parts of it will for those that cheated through unearned boons. Uh, the society was born on those who gained power through transactions, unearned except through obsession to gods. Um, he says, we never needed the gods. The gods need us. Uh, and Fern's like, well, so what's on those papers you just took? And Ludinus says, I don't want to spoil the surprise. Um, and she kind of asks again and kind of pesters him about it. 
and he leans in and says that he watched the world burn at the gods' requests. Destruction brought down to stunt mortal minds. And he says that if there's even an ounce of faith in you of the gods, you have no place in my like our ranks. Um, and then they're like, how old is he? And he says, you know, old enough. So he then turns to leave and kind of undoes the arcane lock and says, <clears throat> kind of gives his one last little stinger. That is, uh, we are the seed they plant and till and water. They returned to private gardens because they were told there was no alternative, but all children outgrow their parents. The divergence wasn't meant to protect the mortals. It was to protect the gods. He then strolls out of the room. And meanwhile, Professor Shumal is still just sitting there with a smile on her face, you know, having been charmed, but like a single tear is rolling down her cheek. So Imogen and Fern immediately like transition to like trying to help her. They're like, how can we snap her out of this? Um, how do we, how do we help? Um, we then cut to back to Orem. Um, Orem, I believe it's Orem, Ashton and Chetney, I think is the other, other group. Uh, and Orm actually sees Ludinus leaving, and so he immediately knows something is up, and he's like, we need to go check on the others. Um, meanwhile, at the same time, FCG and Laudna are fitting up, finishing up with Vitro Asham, who has finished FCG's Easy Bake Oven, and they thank him and head off to meet with everybody else, uh, where they run into Orm and the rest of the crew, uh, and they actually see Carol, who is like the employee they saw a couple episodes ago, and they're like, hey, we need to be let in, and... Uh, they basically intimidate her into letting them in. So then all the rest of them are running up to catch up with uh, Fern and Imogen. They ultimately do, uh, whilst Imogen and Fern are still trying to help Sumal. Uh, they ultimately land on what's, we got to tell Plane Rider Ren. Uh, they can't figure out any other way here. So they message her, tell her what's up. She immediately teleports or apparates to them. Um, they fill her in on the lewdness situation and what just happened. And there's a lot of discussion here, but ultimately the party lands back where they were is that like, we got to do something about one of these devices. And so Rin is like Feywild or Shadowfell, like pick your poison. Um, and they ultimately decide to go to the Feywild to speak to Fern's grandma. Uh, Rin says she will take care of Sumal and she will also take care of their uh, Ruby Vanguard prisoner that Pate is currently watching. And once that happens, Marisha summons, uh, or Ladna summons Pate back to her. Um, and then Rin begins to teleport them to the Feywild. Um, she says, where do you need to go? It's like an imperfect magic, but I can at least get you close. And Fern says the destination is the Harrow Call Fins, specifically the Ligament Manor. So Rin casts a spell. Um, Bell's Hells usher inside, and they basically go through and fall on this like soft, spongy soil. In this dark land, it's like creepy, magical marsh. Uh, and Matt describes there's all these like gnarled trees and they're essentially creating like this enclosed canopy above them. You can't tell where one starts and the other ends, but it's almost like a dome of tree branches. Um, immediately, the party notice, notices that Fern looks different. Um, she still looks like Fern, but her features are sharper, her ears longer, her limbs like right. elongated. And they're kind of like, it's it's kind of scary, but Ladna's like, I'm about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so as they go, um, they're like, Fern, which way do we go? She thinks she knows. Um, and as they're traveling, um, there's a moment here where there's these flowers that pop up. 
and Lana is kind of interested in them and is kind of like singing and goes and like kind of like tickles one basically and the flower seems to like it and when she does that it like changes colors and then all these other flowers start popping up and they seemingly like want attention as well um Lana doesn't really know what to do so she kind of like runs by and high fives them and uh suddenly they all like withdraw at once and um when this happens they can hear trees start to like uproot and move and they realize that this like canopy of trees is enclosing in on them um almost like a cage um the flowers slowly start to emerge again and like kind of sway expectantly and uh fern they're like fern can you talk to them or something and so fern tries to talk to them and they're like do you have speak with plants and she's like no so uh. <laughs> i think she still rolls like a really high persuasion check or something and she's like we're just trying to get to nana's and the flowers keep moving and they ultimately really they ultimately realize that they're kind of reacting to music um so fern gets out her pan flute and imogen actually begins to sing and the flowers start to like sway with the rhythm and as that's happening the cage slowly opens and is giving them a path to escape um so they get out and once they're about like 40 feet away all of the flowers suddenly screech at once and then disappear and it's a great jump scare for like the whole table um Anyway, now that they're out of that, Fern has like fully picked up the scent of her grandmother's place and starts running to it. It's this massive tree in the middle of this like dome-like glade. And Matt describes this like equally like awesome and amazing yet horrific tree structure with like these different bits and baubles and empty nests all strewn within it. Um, Fern makes her way to it and these vines like kind of open up like a canopy to let her in. And she just goes in and immediately starts like ascending up the tree the party close behind her uh they reach part way up the tree where it splits into like two different trunks and there's like this this landing area with furniture and stuff and that's when we first hear a voice of morrigan welcoming them being like oh fern it's so good to see you uh not what she sounds like at all but i'm not even gonna attempt <laughs> to emulate that um she's like oh here meet my friends he's like you guys need a cocktail and they're like yeah absolutely um mm -hmm. she's like okay well follow me we'll get it and then another voice says like welcome and fern's grandma like opens up her robe to reveal there's like another mouth on her stomach um that has a distinct voice and uh that's basically where the episode ends um so yeah that was episode 45 ominous lectures so yeah let us know uh, if you want to see the whole episode discussion and you're watching just the recap you can check the link below but uh, and let us know what you thought about the episode um will reactions yeah um i liked it man i uh especially the uh well i mean not even especially but i was gonna say the second half just because that lewdness like cliffhanger i was not expecting him to show oh. up and then we got some really interesting information in that in that conversation uh which you know not to toot our own horn but you and i actually had recently been speculating about if lewdness was maybe an old boy as it were and yeah. it seems like the elements of that conversation maybe uh confirmed that uh but not to get ahead of myself liked the episode very excited for where we landed because as you know i've been waiting to learn more about morgan and mm -hmm. um no episode this week obviously but i'm excited for when we get the next one that's basically where we're at so maybe we'll yeah, get some matt, juicy answers uh, matt did such a great job of making the fey wild as disturbing 
and beautifully terrifying as possible, especially his description of Morgan, um, which he, I think, did it justice. Um, a very creepy character, for sure. Um, very nightmarish, 100%. if you will. Yeah, um, like E.T. So, with like the long craning neck. Yeah, yeah, right, and like bony arms and shoulders, and yet like 10 feet tall and ugh. Yeah, but, and the extra voice face mouth and the whole face mouth thing too yeah i guess that's a <laughs> yeah. big deal but um yeah great episode we've got we're getting a little spoiled we've had a few episodes in a row of just like great lore drops yeah it just it's building one episode after another a hundred percent and i actually i don't know where we necessarily should lean into these different things but uh I, there's a lot to talk about here but yeah love the episode as well and and shout out to matt in particular on this episode for playing so many interesting npcs that are so different like yeah he really showed his range and you know why he yeah. is matt mercer but we had lewdness um morgan obviously just a little bit at the end uh sumal and professor uh vitro Asham. that what an yeah. amazing character like yeah. instantly one of my favorites of the whole campaign so far um yeah. so yeah i just thought that you know matt per usual was putting on a masterclass. I'm amazed how long he can hold Vitro's accent, like how long he can keep like a speech pattern going yeah. in like conversation. <laughs> yeah. Without re- breaking character. Yeah. And he really like embodies it too. Like, with Vitro especially you could tell because you had that like I don't even know how to do it, but like that yeah. like physicality to Yeah. Which maybe is part of what he needs to do to get that voice or it might just be yeah. a part of how he embodies that character it's almost like he's a professional voice actor <laughs> uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves yeah well uh where do we want to start today okay um obviously there's the whole lewdness conversation um so i'm trying to think there's lewdness there's the details on the studies mm-hmm. um there's fcg um there's the Feywild. wild um and then ashton i don't know i don't know how much of ashton's story is like authentic story points and like hey here's where i've been the last two episodes like shenanigans i feel like it's more of the latter but i wouldn't be surprised if matt like loops that back in in some way agreed um i guess we could start there just kind of get that out of the way since it's probably quick Um, yeah but yeah, agree. Basically, what you just said, like how much of that is really to be read into versus just like oh, let's think of something fun to explain why I was gone the last two episodes because Talison was sick. Um, so I think that's absolutely how it originated. But I do think that now because that's there, it's going to be played with. Like, and I think he did also give us some real details from his backstory that he just mm-hmm. incorporated yeah. into this fun story that he had to come up with. Uh, Could be found out about Violet, who I absolutely believe was already, you know, ingrained in his story. This is just the first we're hearing about uh, them. Um, And there's just so many interesting details. I actually uh, made a comment on, I think, the Critical Role video that, like, give me Ashton's great EOS adventure one shot. Because I would just love to see, (laughs) like, that whole thing go down. I mean, we got a kidnapping. We got the feds. It just had everything. Um, yeah, the mob. Yeah. So I, uh, I, again, I don't know how much, how much time it's worth, like really diving in on it, but I do think that it was, it was more than just nothing. Like, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if some of these things come up at some point again. Yeah. That's probably the most I would say about it too. 
Um, well, with that being said, uh, I guess we can move on to maybe the FC. I mean, not that we have to go in chronological order, but I guess the next thing would be FCG. Um, oh, about to lose internet. Oh no. Oh, I'm back. Oh, okay. okay. We we went dead there for a minute, but we're good. We came back. Okay. I guess we'll move on to Will. Are you there? <laughs> are we still uh, recording? <laughs> yes, we are. Uh, although there's probably like a 10 second yeah. me just being like, "Is everything okay on the podcast?" So I hope yeah. you guys enjoy that. Um, but it it feels like maybe FCG would be the next. I'm kind of thinking of like levels of like importance, and so it kind of feels yeah. like the order of the episode. Um, no, that's exactly what I was saying while I was lost okay. from you as well. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I I already said it, but Vitro, I freaking loved. Um, mm-hmm. What a great character! I hope we see more of him. Um, we found out some stuff, but it, we didn't really find out anything that new. Um, right. You know, we kind of got more a hard confirmation on things. The care and the culling being that event that happened long ago. Uh, I'm curious to know how Vitro knows so much. I mean, obviously he's at this one of the most prestigious universities in the world, I guess. So maybe he's just the best of the best at this. Why well, isn't he a professor of like Aomerton history yeah. or so that, that kind of makes sense. Like his life's work has been studying this. So yeah, for sure. I'm just, I'm kind of, and maybe this is me getting too, too in the weeds on it, but I'm just curious, like how does, how did he research these things? Like, has he been to the ruins of Aor? Um, right. And that type of stuff. Um, but loved him. I mean, we got the confirmation. I mean, I guess you can't call it confirmation, but like 99.9% that, that FCG is one of these Karen the Culling um, Aormatons that were spoken of. But I just, in general, this whole moment, I just loved because like Vitro was just such like an empathetic, compassionate yeah. character that like gave this speech on, it doesn't matter if that's what you were created for. Like you find right. your own purpose. And it's like Vitro got me crying in the club right now. Like, what I think a guy. he said something too about FCG like being a person or something. And like, I think it's Lana's like he called you a person. I I just like how the sta- the the staff <laughs> the staff with <laughs> <a> critical role. <laughs> the players are just they continue to confirm to FCG like you you are a person. Like you matter. You have a soul. Um, which kind of goes against. And it's actually it's interesting. Like since since there seems to be a part of his experience that's locked away, I wonder if also in some ways he's been reprogrammed to suppress um, those thoughts of personal existence. Um, Cause we've seen yeah. him continue to like push those things down. And also Vitro mentions that back in the day, there was like this push from Aomertans to be this, this push for equality of like being their own entities so I wonder if if I wonder why FCG is not sort of naturally leaning into that, if that's his nature, or rather, um, like I said, it's been suppressed in some way, or he's been reprogrammed after the fact. I think that's a great insight because I think I think that it almost has to be spot on because, like you just mentioned, Aomatons were they're they're people, like they're actual living souls, right? So if you're gonna create this, um, program for lack of a better word the care and the calling where you're like initiating these these sleeper cell individuals to go assassinate people like a normal 
person isn't going to want to do that. They're not going to want to go kill somebody in cold blood for somebody else's political gain, right? So I mm. think you would have to program like some sort of suppressant in to get these aormatons to do that for you because they probably right. wouldn't just do it, you know, all things considered, all things equal. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a great insight. It's a, It'll be interesting to see where that came along. Like what, like, you know, were they manu- manufactured, were they created with that purpose already in mind or was right. it like, get me a batch of 100 aormatons and now I'm going to go in and tinker with them and, and make them my sleeper agents. So there's still like questions there, but I think you're it's, absolutely it's, right. It's a very motley crew, like through coincidence of like people's stories are very much interwoven. Um, you know, finding out more about him is undeniably linked to what seems to be the backstory for lewdness. And um, if he is from Aor, and not just him, but his efforts with Liliana and Adahan and that being related to Imogen and Ruidus, which goes back to the deities. It's just, it's interesting how this crew found each other. Um, and I, I guess I like how these seemingly side, sto- not side stories, but like FCG's story isn't a distractor uh, or a detractor. It is it's nice how Matt cr- has crafted this in that we can indulge more in his story while also seeing the links to the other major like story points. 100%. Yeah. Agreed. And I thought it was also just cool or yeah, I mean, I guess that's a fair way to describe it. Um that Vladna was the one with FCG for this moment because honestly if 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 anyone else from Bell's Hells that needed to hear like you are not your created purpose, then it's her, yeah. right? Like this, I love this girl that was, uh, you know, murdered to send a signal to Vox Machina right. and then used as Delilah's phylactery, basically. Right. Like she's all, and I don't think she deals with. She's not nearly dealing with it in the same way that FCG is. Like I think she's kind of has a better grips on not that not defining her. But I think it was right. still really interesting that she was the other person in the room for that conversation. Yeah, I think that's spot on. Um, do you think this arcane accumulator, is it fair to say this is the link between when he goes ham, you know, goes off? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it seems like it makes sense, right? Like accumulator, he's like storing up these these negative experiences or whatever you want to call it. And then it just reaches some point of of no return where he loses himself, right? Yeah. Um, I, I'm just, by the way, I'm pulling up the chef feet while we're... Okay. Yes. So, I mean, I think that's a fair assumption. I um, am definitely interested. A a nuance I'm curious about is what, if, if it's the arcane accumulator or not, it's kind of beside the point, but the mechanics of how that works, is that the same as how it was back in the day when he was programmed for this care in the culling? Was it like, or was it like a switch that was activated and they all just went online or was it a similar situation where like they knew these robots were like empathy servant bots for these high level people. Maybe it was like, well, we're expecting them to get a certain amount of, I I don't know, like maybe, maybe it wasn't like a press of a button that turned them on, but there was like a thought out programmed, like this will eventually happen to each of these robots. And when it reaches that maximum critical capacity, they'll turn on and kill people. And so maybe that's like the same thing that's happening now. There's, yeah, there is that's a that's actually a really interesting insight is that 
is it designed this way as like a hidden bomb to which is seemingly of massive power um it actually reminds me of that movie um oh gosh it's such an old movie um what's it about with gary sinise um Every time I say an actor's name, by the way, I'm always going to think, <laughs> <laughs> am I pr- pronouncing it right? I think that's right. Um, where it's it's a future sci-fi movie where he's, and I'm just going to throw out the spoiler just right off the bat, by the way, guys. Um, he's like a cop or something, and it's in a time where he's investigating. It's kind of like, uh, what's the movie with, um, um, geez, dude, uh, Ryan Gosling, um, the sequel. Oh, uh, Blade Runner? Yeah, Blade Runner. A little bit like that, but uh, he's an officer who they know they've been invaded by sort of like body snatchers and that these aliens will snatch someone's body and then like put a new person in their place. And they're basically trying to find those people. But the whole premise of the movie is he gets arrested as one of these imposters. And he's like, no, it's like, it's like mistaken identity. He's like, no, I'm me. I'm me. And through the course of the movie, here's the spoilers. In the very end, you find he finds out himself that he is the imposter, and a bomb hidden inside of him triggers and blows up, killing his target. And that's the end of the movie. Oh, gosh, yeah, um, I don't think I've seen that. It's actually a pretty good movie, and it's a great ending too. By the way, um, I don't know the can't think of the name of the movie, but tying that back to you, mm. I bet Sam Regal saw that movie. So, <laughs> but no, like it could be, yeah, yeah, or Matt, it could be that purposely designed this way, or flip side, it could be a fail safe that the creators put in them for if they become too sentient and too independent, mm. they can activate it to destroy yeah. them. So that's a that's a say? good call too. Which one it is? I will say, kind of against my whole theory that I was just. Uh, posing that if it was this big event to the point where it's called the care and the calling that does make it seem more like a press of the button and all this happened at once rather than waiting for it to reach critical capacity because like if one did it then the other people that had them would be like wait what get this away from me so yeah um Um, by the way when you search it um this is actually just from the wiki. It's nothing we don't already know, but just to, for everyone listening, maybe you missed the detail. Um, the care and the killing was a semi-successful political assassination plot from AOR during the age of Arcanum. Um, number of Aormatons were given to unknown politicians, uh, uh, across various rivals around the world. Uh, they were sleeper agents and many of them eventually killed the people who they'd been gifted to. Um, Again, nothing new we know, but just getting us all on the same baseline. Um, and I'm still, yeah. I'm still of the theory that the old person's face that FCG saw when he was getting his vision during the Odahan fight was whoever he was gifted to, and probably who he killed. Mm. Also, I didn't realize this was. I I thought this was the first time we heard of it, and I guess I missed it from when uh, I guess Joe first tells them about the event. Yeah, it was on episode thirty-two yeah okay yeah nice detail since we've mentioned it twice it does it does like you said 99 percent chance i think it is confirmed this would have to be the case yeah um okay interesting wasn't what was the detail his dream um remember the episode when 
almost everyone died to Otahan. Were you talking and about then, what I what I just said? Did, what, no, I, did I miss what you just said? <laughs> what uh, yeah. did you say? How uh, during the episode with the Otahan fight in FCG's vision, he saw the face, and it was like this person that oh, was like happy, and yeah. then became like sad. For me, I think that was the person he was his care and the calling target. Isn't that, isn't this what I just said? I don't know. Are we going? Are we going? To, are we going in a loop right now? I'm just kidding. All right, all right. My bad. I wasn't fully listening when you said it because I was reading the wiki. So. Yeah, that's fine. All right. Uh, yeah, I think that's the case. I think so. I was like, wow, how coincidental that my mind just went to this next detail. It's like because <laughs> Will just said it to you. So okay, yeah, very interesting for sure. And I I like how we're seemingly digging deeper into Aor's history. I know Campaign 2 had a bit of it in there that I'm it's over my head, don't know much about it. Um but this I don't know what it is about the this content from like pre-calamity calamity, but it scratches the perfect itch for me. Like every time I get more details, I'm just like, okay, this is so interesting. Agreed. I mean it's like it's the deep lore, you know? It's like mm -hmm. the the paradigm shifting type of lore which is just yeah. i mean just really interesting in general um well, i know you were or go ahead i was I just mentioned the chef feed but oh ahead. that's that's what i was gonna say i was like I, you wow. were looking that up right so i was just Something curious yeah yeah so one last detail about fcg before we move on um there were some theories that we knew that he had taken an unnamed feat uh but that his wisdom modifier had gone up a point and people had guessed maybe it was the chef feat this seems to confirm that it was the chef feat uh, but increases your constitution or wisdom score by one to a maximum of 20. You now gain proficiency with cooking utensils. As part of a short rest, you can cook special food, provided you have the ingredients. You can prepare enough of this food for a number of creatures equal to four, plus your proficiency bonus, which I think right now is plus three. So seven people. Uh, at the end of the short rest, any creatures who eat the food and spin one or more hit dice regain... Uh, hit points equal to an extra 1d8 hit points. Uh, so they get it when they use a hit dice, they get an extra 1d8 uh, hit points. Uh, with one hour of work or when you finish a long rest, you can cook a number of treats equal to your proficiency bonus. So presumably three. Uh, these treats will last eight hours. And as a bonus action, if you eat one, you will gain temporary hit points equal to your proficiency bonus. So a nice little flavor. Uh, detail. Pun intended, yeah. Oh, um, oh yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. But, <laughs> yeah, 100%. I think this is so cool. Uh, Chef CG. I I just, <laughs> nice. I like, uh, I think it just plays so well into his character. Uh, yeah. You know, the one, it's he's looking out for everyone else. Like, F, FCG literally can't eat, you know? So it's just, it's yeah. that extra layer of um, the em <laughs> empathy bot, you know? The greatest trauma to make food that he can he himself can never enjoy <laughs> but i also i also like it for the sake of like when you're like designing your own character when you play dnd like a lot of times the temptation is like to scroll through the feet list and be like what's most broken yeah and um i don't know i just think i think i, I think i really like this group because it feels like time and again they're continuing to just do things that develop interesting and fun characters rather than being the most powerful person alive <laughs> that's i mean that's so, definitely sam to a t uh, uh the opposite of that is what i'm saying uh so that yeah this is very fitting for him but like last last campaign he um slight spoilers i guess 
slight campaign two spoilers. I'll wave again when it's over. Um, last campaign, he played a halfling and halflings have halfling luck where you can re-roll ones and he just would never use it. And like Liam and other people at the table would be like, re-roll that. Like, this is an important moment. And he's like, no, I'm not it's going to. final death saving throw. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. So yeah. it's funny because I don't know if you've noticed, like Liam is a half. Oh, right. Liam is a halfling this uh, campaign right. and he's always like, oh, I'm re-rolling this. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I just think that's funny. That's definitely. Sam yeah. is like a, a great example of, of doing what's interesting and fun and not what's yeah. OP. Yeah. Well, let's move on from this and go to Khadija Sumal. Um, we have more. It's interesting how this lore is getting revealed and then building on it. Like it was only recently we found out about the exaltants. And now here they are. I wonder if this is related to what was torn out of the um, research paper. Out of Vasselheim? The- no, the... Um, Drusar Library, conservatory oh. or whatever. There were oh. ripped pages out. The oh, yeah, at the very beginning of the pages. campaign. Right. And I've been thinking, what could these details be? We may never get an actual confirmation. It may just be like the breadcrumb that like there's there's something's happening here. It's a right. thread to follow. But I was thinking, you know, what would be like the ultimate thing to that would be most interesting that we didn't get before that should have been in that study? And it seems like information or data around exaltants or people well-connected to Ruidus. Um, but we seemingly got more information. And surprisingly, that Otahan, uh, maybe with mixed motives, uh, was part of this study as well. Yeah, and I think that's a great call, actually. I bet this this is those pages. Because, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, because wasn't it basically confirmed that what was on those documents was the list of all the current exaltants and the right the history of the flares so it would and now i'm kind of speculating but it would make sense that the grim verity knowing what they know and knowing lewdness and whoever else is trying to utilize it in this way they would try to guard that information which clearly sumal was trying to guard it so maybe they right. tore it out of that book so that like okay can't find he can't find this list of people or whatever so i think that lines up for me um does it have to be well, that no but i think that makes yeah, sense right and the only detail I, I attach it to was we know the Loomis twins joined the Grim, the Grim Verity. Um, so if you've joined the Grim Verity, you're living in Drasar, you're immediately getting like your first mission or realizing like the importance of like what needs to happen. I could see them, you know, actually they weren't from Drasar. Now that I think about it. They were from, uh, um, were they? No, they weren't. I don't they know. Were in, uh, Their family was because they went and spoke to right the, okay yeah the matriarch yes. yes right um so long ago yeah so you're living in Drasar, and it's like yeah hey we know there's this stuff here let's go like protect it and add it to you know the stack of stuff we're protecting so i don't know um but it is interesting we got more confirmation about the number of people um i can't remember they said becoming exaltants or just rude is born was increasing drastically in recent years. I think it's both, right? Because like, even yeah. if one oh, percent is yeah. exaltants, then if there's more in general, then there's more exaltants as well. You know, so and yeah, it it does seem like I don't know if it's maybe it doesn't seem like, um, but Ludens's comment to Fern of like you're not quite an exaltant. I didn't know if that implied like 
you have great affinity, but you're not you're not an exaltant, or if it implied that you could attain exaltant status, which that's is a, an RPG. So <laughs> that's an know. interesting distinction. For my my initial guess would be that it was the former. Like you kind of have to be born an exaltant. Um, yeah, but it would be interesting if you could get there. But I think it makes them more. It makes it kind of make more sense if you can't just become one and that's why he's like searching out trying to find these people but mm. it certainly could be both ways well we know broly had natural super saiyan affinity and then the legendary goku had super to train saiyan. yeah goku had to train to be a super saiyan yeah, so it's true i'm just saying wouldn't be the first time but <laughs> that's right basis all theory on um is it safe to assume Adahan was a double not a double agent but like joined the study under the guise of like needing to find out what they knew getting access to the omen archive um i think sumal even says like she was aware of it already um and then even says like once they ended the study because of her suspicious behavior i think there was comments of like that's when members of the grim verity started to drop in like surrounding areas or wherever i mean that makes sense to me that she was sent in Maybe we could talk more about this a, a little bit later, but either sent in by Ludinus or whoever um, in order to find out more. Like, not a genuine, yeah, not a genuine, in, not was was not genuinely interested in this study and like trying to find out more about herself. Definitely got spy double agent vibes for me. Yeah. Um, I guess before we go that route, just focusing in on the study, what's your take on the Raid Laura? Yeah. Okay. So that was really interesting. And again, to, to, to recap really quick and correct me if I'm wrong or step in, but, and I think it was specifically exultant, like Rudis people have these dreams, but especially right. exultants who are like most right. in tune with this would have these dreams and they could share in each other's dreams. Right. Uh, beyond just the Ray Laura. Cause have, didn't we see Odahan in one of Imogen's early dreams? Yes. Right. Which at first I was, you know, we didn't really know necessarily what that meant, but now I'm thinking like Odahan had that same dream and like, yeah, Right. You know, anyway, so yeah. that happens, but not only that, that sometimes these other alien entities would show up, the Ray Laura, and they cannot communicate with them. They don't share language. So like any communication between them was just based on like instinct and feeling and emotion. Um a wide range of emotions. Yeah, and they they had their different ones that all had different personalities. It's very interesting to me. I I mean, I gotta assume that these are are okay there's a lot to unpack here Pradathos we know is the thing that's being imprisoned up there right. to me that that seems like one entity but maybe if especially if it is this being of immense power maybe he can create if not like offshoots of himself maybe he still just has followers we know there's a city on Ruidus so it's not as right. if Pradathos just is walking around a city by himself so there's some form of civilization I don't know if it's the right word um, maybe the maybe like clerics of Bradathos, like when Bradathos was banned or banished, yeah, his like, followers as well. Totally possible. It, it's just so interesting that they are so alien in the way of not not being able to share any type of like language at all, especially in the world of D anD D, where there are so many ways to communicate beyond language via telepathy which obviously a lot of these rudis borns are capable of um and that they didn't make any mention of that working um yeah so it's I, like I, 
Sorry, go ahead. No, I just am kind of rambling, but yeah, I, I'm very interested. I mean, I imagine these are some, I'm not saying they're Prodothos himself. I don't think that, but maybe they are. But I just imagine there's some form of alien entity that either came with him or he created. Yeah, I went through two theories. One being um, that it's the machinations of Prodothos, like manipulating people in some way or trying to communicate. Yeah. I like the other theory that we're already on of we know there's a city on Ruidus. The expansive emotions to me communicates a multitude of personalities, i.e. a multitude of people mm-hmm. who all have different, you know, they're they're imprisoned and have different different reactions to that, I guess. Um I would think like the lack of ability to communicate to me speaks to the divine gate energy around Ruidus that almost seems That's to like purposely obfuscate the the way you communicate. Like I can't I can't remember like the physical descriptions. I think they described it as like shadowy, like maybe even like tenderly or something. I don't remember what it was exactly, but it's like a person right in front of you and they're just like, I can't talk. It, right. It's like there was some kind of apparition thing to it. And I think about like movies like in pop culture where like someone's trying to speak to the dead or for what have you and they have to do it like in very um uh, i think even like stranger things uh season one where um the kids in the upside down and like how they're communicating is fragmented um yeah so that's that's kind of my take on it is it's emotions is the clearest thing we can resonate with but beyond that this divine energy has sort of prevented anything else which is even more interesting if lutinus is and not to jump so far ahead, but if Ludinus is not an exaltant, which it seems like is implying he's not, who's he been communicating with, if he even has been? Yeah. I, I Before the Ludinus stuff, I, I'm with you. I think that all makes a lot of sense. Um, and I'm wondering if whatever these the Raylora are, if that is the same thing that Imogen summoned, remember when she summoned and we were like, we think this is a reskin of like summon aberration or whatever it was. It was described as like this alien, like red something. And so I'm wondering if those are one and the same. Um, That's just a quick offshoot, but two. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what to make of this lewdness stuff because clearly we just we don't know if he's lying or not but if he's telling right. the truth do you think again if he's telling the truth when he says he's had conversations do you think this is what he's talking about with these entities or do you think he's like having a conversation with predathos i i don't know i kind of wonder if it's the latter and i think both could be true if exaltants are, by definition, people born after the calamity, all that stuff, and they have a connection to Ruidus, and this these flares are like these reaching out to people, um, he could not be that, but simultaneously have a connection if he's really from Aeor, and if back then there was a means of you know, with whatever research happened in Aeor or, you know, from his hometown 
created that connection. It could be that he does have a connection. It's just, it's just not the same medium that the exaltants have a connection. So I could see him being coy because it is true, but also not as we think of it. Right. I could definitely see it being something like that. Um, I could also just see him being a rudest born and an exultant. Like, you know, right. maybe he was just the first probably isn't the right word for it, but especially if he is like from Aeor, like, and is that old, then maybe he is just one of the first like vessels that Pradathos ever right. utilized. Um, and that's, that's if they're on the same team, which is a very simple way to put what I'm trying to say, but that's if what we're being told is true and that Ludinus's motives are what we think they are just to release him and have him deal with the gods. I think there could be way more to it than that. You know, one of the things we posed was what if he's trying to ascend, you know? Right. Um, right. Not that I think that's the case either, but I just think there's, there's, there's many possibilities for what's really going on to still show themselves, but. And what Ludinus, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to just basically repeat myself, but go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, presumably, Ludinus already is the makings of a big bad evil. I mean, incredibly powerful, way beyond the power level of um, Bell's Hells, not to mention allied with people like Adahan. And there's, we've talked about this before, how like there's no hope for this. Like, where does this go from here? Because there's no way they could stop this. Um, but. It's it's interesting what happens from here, though, in that he mentioned the pole northward, which I think is that excavation site. It's where that uh, third I think so too. Malleus Key is. Um, which we know that there was some mention of this before this episode uh, about how Brutusborns are all flocking to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Blanking on the name of the continent, but Marquette. Marquette. Um, yeah. And so I feel like that's that's to what he was referring to seemingly. And I do think it's to that, um, that device. And I'm wondering if it's because are they going to be like sacrificed or like, are they maybe not sac maybe sacrifice is too strong of a word, but are they going to be utilized in some form in order to make this ritual happen? Um, and because why are they, why do they need to be there? If not? Yeah. I think it'd be interesting if we eventually see this happen, I think it'd be interesting if there was a character from C from, from campaign one or two, like a side character who's there, mm -hmm. um, whose root is born that you would not have known back in the day. That so, would be interesting. But that would be interesting. And okay, there's a couple there's a couple things I want to touch on here, but I don't want to drag us too far away too quick. Um on Ludinus really quick. I mean, I kinda I kinda patted our own back earlier, but in case you didn't hear, you know, we we, I don't know if it's fair to say we got confirmation, but he basically made it seem like he was old and like firsthand witnessed Aeor's destruction at the hand of the gods. Yeah, like to summarize for you guys watching, if you didn't see our last episode, basically Will hatched a crackpot theory that he, he called was like, this is definitely just crazy stuff that <laughs> basically talked about Ludinus', Ludinus hometown in the Savalier Wood, this corruption around it that was similar to the corruption in Aeor. And since there was this book or something, uh, the fa Factum de Malaris, whatever. Yeah, the, yeah, um, the, the, it's a, some research that uh, yeah. that uh, the Mighty Nine found in the ruins of Aeor. Yeah, in Campaign 2, uh, 
that seems to have the same name, shares the name of the Malleus Keys. Mm-hmm. But Will basically said, um, is it possible that lewdness is linked to Aeor um, in some way? And this is like personal for him. And then I added, since lewdness seems to be obsessed with these, um, uh, what are they called? Beacons. Um, beacons, right? The Luxon beacons. Is it possible that he is manipulating the beacons to repeatedly consecute himself to cheat death and is basically this person from Aeor who's bitter about the gods who wants to see them undone? Um, I don't remember when the last Apogee Solstice was, but it makes sense. The why now kind of makes sense in the sense of since the Apogee Solstice is so rare, you only have a certain number. Like your your options are limited, so it would make sense that it would take this long for kind of the whole plan to come together. But and not only that, and that there was an, a world-ending apocalyptic event. Like you had to start from scratch. You know, like right. the, you had to wait for the technology to catch back up too. Oh, um, yeah. I did see a theory today about um, how some people escaped. We know that we saw in Calamity how the Feywild was opened up for people. Um, mm-hmm like Sam Regal's character to escape the tragedy. And I saw a theory today that maybe lewdness escaped to the Feywild and timey, wibby, wibbly, wobbly, um, basically came out and it was way in the future. Um, like after everything had happened, um, it's a little bit weaker for me, but certainly possible. Yeah. Or maybe, uh, maybe our boy, Ira Windegoth, who is very Fey-esque, maybe escaped similarly if he happens to be that old too. Um, but yeah, so I think the, the mechanisms are there to explain it a number of different ways, but at least it seems to be, um, fair to think that Luden is, is very old and has some sort of, some sort of motivation, be it a grudge or not, that ties him to this beyond just, you know, being a, a current day power hungry person. Like he seems to have deeper connections based on. You know, those those hints Matt was dropping in the second half of the episode. My right? money is he's absolutely from AOR. I mean, like, I'm 70% there. I mean, the same, like, ego and pride against the gods. I, like, it was so well done in Calamity of, like, why do we need the gods? You know, and we got very um, rhyming phrases from him about that. Not to mention him being, he was clearly bitter about the gods. Um, you know, if you saw your entire civilization undone, you'd probably be pretty pissed about it, so... I'm yeah. pretty there on the puzzle pieces fit really well. Right. And right. It, it makes, and it kind of draws a direct line to calamity, which is kind of cool too. Not that it, that's necessary. Um, but you know, if you're going to have all these, these pieces of the world yeah. that you're building at once, not that they need to be directly connected, but it's kind of cool to have connective tissue between them. Um, it makes sense also because the foreshot with Calamity, it, there wasn't like a thought of like, why now? But I just thought about like their programming. Why did they choose to do a Calamity foreshot? And it would make sense if this hinges so much on Aeor and the Calamity, which is seemingly the case with Pradathos already mentioned, um, that it makes sense now in retrospect why that, that four episode mini campaign had to happen. Yeah, I mean, it, it also lends uh, credence to the just this theory about like the mortals not needing the gods, and maybe that relationship isn't always how it's been presented as. Uh, without getting too deep in the weeds on the weeds on calamity right now, but like 
the things Asmodeus was saying. Like, you know, he I think he was manipulating uh Xerxes or Xerxes. Um, but I think there also could have been truth to what he was saying. Uh like both can be true. Yeah. Um and so I think and it, it I don't know, I think it all just could be like a very awesome like setting the stage, uh, like you're mentioning, basically. So uh, it all makes sense to me. I don't know. Like all that being said, I don't think that means lewdness has to be from Aor, but I think it, it fits really well. Yeah. Um, um, okay. What would you were gonna say? I was gonna kind of pivot a little bit, unless you have more specifically uh, on this whole thing. Still, still on this scene, but not anymore. Really, necessarily about lewdness, any of that. Um, should I go ahead or? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. I was going to mention um, what he cast, what he casted on Professor um, Sumal. Yeah. Because um, I don't think it was Charm Person. I I thought of it being like some kind of like Shatter Mind spell. Um, yeah, it seemed like I, that. I did some digging and um, there is a spell in 5e called Feeble Mind. Um, you blast yeah. the mind of a creature you can see within range, attempting to shatter its intellect and personality. Uh, on a failed intelligence saving throw, their intelligence and charisma scores become a one. The creature cannot cast spells, activate magical items, understand language, or communicate in any intelligible way. However, they can identify their friends, follow them, and even protect them. Um, this spell can only be ended by a greater restoration, heal, or wish. So That lines up pretty well, especially with I'll, what uh, Rin said about like what exactly. they needed to, to help her. Right. Right. So, which speaks again to how powerful lewdness is. Yeah. Um, I mean, leader and, of the freaking service assembly, even if he's not yeah, ancient, and, like, man's And also big. a bit a bit how evil he is in that you take this person whose life work is their intelligence and their, you know, prowess in studying these things. And, you know, it's like, why not just kill Professor Sumal? I mean, clearly could have. But I just think of like how bitter and awful this person must be to remove what would be someone's most prized gift. Um, so yeah, I for the record I agree. Not with, a good dude. I agree with that a hundred percent. But you, do you think it would have been better if he just killed her? Uh, I I don't. I think he could have killed her, and it wouldn't have mattered for his plans. Yeah, like I don't think it would have been a big deal. Um. I think the fact that he shattered her mind is an intentional detail about his 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 MO. Yeah. 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 So I um I re- I'm really liking him in how he's shaping up to be a villain though. Um cuz yeah, I mean he's doing clearly messed up things to get to get to his ultimate ends, but and this could still go out any number of ways, but the motivation of like a man trying to turn against the gods after they destroyed his civilization. Like that's such a cool, like that's such a cool villain to me. Like um, not that he's not that he's going about it in the right way. Um, And again, not that that's even the case, but that would just be, that'd be cool. Yeah. Um, All right. So uh, one thing I wanted to touch on really quick was the whole Odohan lewdness connection. I don't remember exa- I don't remember exactly what was said if it was even in this episode, but something made me think that like whilst they may be aligned on certain things, Odahan might have her own agenda. Did, yeah. uh, and again, I wish I remembered what 
there was that something was. that yeah i'm on the same page as you there was something implied about that for sure so I, all i was gonna say is i wonder one back to what we kind of were talking about is Ludinus the one that sent odahan on that on that spy mission if you will to to infiltrate the the research study or was that something she did on her own right um are they still in cahoots um you know be it if odahan has her own agenda or not is she still currently working for Ludinus? uh because we do know there's the the ruby vanguard but then there's also the paragon's call um so i'm just curious how closely though they're entwined how closely their objectives are aligned and if uh, I, I mean that's i guess that's basically it i'm just i'm wondering and the one piece of this that kind of slots in is the uh the zephra attack since when when Orem asked the ruby vanguard guy like why'd you guys attack zephra we don't know what was said in the whisper but for our our guess was that he didn't really know what that was so if he yeah. didn't, is he just a peon that isn't privy to plans or was that something that Odahan is doing on her own? And what could that be if so? It does seem like that because I think about if, if Odahan's main attacks have been related to the Grim Verity and like taking care of like people who work for the Grim Verity, that I, th I feel like that would be something that Orm would be in the know of, of like, yeah, this person who was a professor in Zephra was killed. Like, it definitely feels like an outlier, um, which to me, I think lines up with what you're saying, that it was something personal for Adahan. Personal, not like a vendetta, but just like her own machinations in play. Yeah. It is interesting, though, that during during the big Odahan fight, like her big thing to Imogen was stop resisting, which is exactly what Ludinus said to her as well. Not that that means that they're aligned, but at least it goes to show yeah. that in that way, they both want the same thing. Um, right. So yeah, just I'm interested to see where that where that shoe falls if it if it does. Yeah. Well, let's wrap up our episode with the final section of the episode. Um, More heading into the Feywild. Yeah. One last thing before we jump there, really quick. Uh, sure. Given what all this is leading to, I, I briefly alluded to this in our OGL video. This big solstice with this guy trying to destroy the gods. Is it at all possible, and not that it's directly related to the current drama with the OGL, but we know in general Critical Role has been trying to move away from any established IP. For example, in The Legend right. of Vox Machina, they do not use the Wizards of the Coast trademark names. They use their own names. Um, but in the campaigns proper so far, for the most part, they've just used the, the, the copyrighted names. Like they've used Beholder. They've used the Raven Queen, yada, yada, yada. Um but now, especially given what's going on with the OGL, um, would they maybe, once their contracts are up, of course, I'm not suggesting they're doing anything that would like fly in the face of any legal obligation. But once those things are up, would it make sense for them to want to fully shift away from that and just have their own IP that they have to answer to? I think since... I was just going to say, if so then what better way to like make that make sense within your world than to have like this huge paradigm shifting event where maybe trademarked IP gods are killed and yeah. you can usher in a new pantheon, if you will. Yeah. Like I think uh, that could make sense. I'm not saying that's what's happening, but it's out. Yeah. There. It, it could happen for sure. I could see it happening. And I, I just will say whether it happens or not, I think in general, 
knowing what we know from, I don't know if it was Travis Willingham who mentioned it or whoever, but the fact that they're creating like their own critical role brand of, um, with an assembly of content, I could see them wanting a pronounced way to separate themselves from, you know, we're not, we're not wizards. We're not a homebrew campaign with Wizards of the coast. Like we are our own thing entirely. Um, so who knows? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I could see that being the case regardless of all the drama that's happened in the past couple of weeks, but especially because of it. Um, so yeah, it would, it would just be, it'd be interesting to see. And that, that kind of makes me think that, and again, we, we've had this discussion on if bells hells can fully stop this or not, but it, it makes me think that this, at least this is happening to some extent. Um, right. But yeah, it'll, it'll just be interesting to see. We'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on this in the comments. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry. We can go on to the yeah. Feywild. Well, like I was saying, to kind of wrap up our episode, we know they, so they make their way to the Feywild. Um, this very much Fey-ish place, naturally. I loved how Matt just described the environment, how it's you know sort of like both beautiful, but also extremely dangerous. Um, yeah. And uh, this... This character Morgan, who maybe even before we get to Morgan, it's interesting. Fern is a bit mm-hmm. nightmarish herself. Yeah, I I too was thinking about that, and I wondered if, if to some extent that's just an interesting flavor to add for any like fey creature that when they're in their element they're going to be more fey. Yeah, right. Um, but I think there there's, I think that's fine. But I think there's something more here. Um. And I think it maybe is is related to her connection with uh with Morgan. You know, we know they're not related, but like so many things have been brought up. She's like, yeah, like I'm tall because uh, Morgan's tall. You know, like right, yeah. Bl- this, so it seems like this is having has an influence on her. This way. detail that she is larger than her parents, uh, despite the age difference, which we know she seems to be older than her parents. Right. This, <laughs> this interesting thing but that she has grown even larger than maybe they would even have grown. Um, so yeah, not quite sure. We've talked a lot about this in the past about Morgan sort of like stewarding her or developing her into something maybe like, yeah. Yeah. Which we're not sure of yet. Um, but Morgan herself, I would say a very untrustworthy character. Yes. Um, despite being terrifying, that's not the, quite the detail that makes her, that would call, I would say is untrustworthy about her. Cause you think of like, um, like a Jack Skellington, um, the fact that these creatures are like disturbing, isn't to me what makes them untrustworthy. It's what we know about Fern's past mm-hmm. and what Morgan has seemingly how he, she has bartered for Fern. Um, I don't know. I'm really interested to see, what happens in this next episode me too because i mean clearly uh, clearly at the at the the base level of it morgan didn't adopt fern or take fern in out of the goodness of her heart like she there was there was a deal made right so i think the interesting question isn't that but it's did over time she actually grow and develop and love fern and that's earnest or not yes so that's what's interesting because i you know um and I don't know. I don't know. I don't think we could know at this point, but it'll be interesting to find out. Fern clearly loves her, and I don't doubt yeah. that. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, this is a freaking Archfey uh, hag that is infamous. Like it's it's clearly not just like a a noble. Inferred. Yeah, no, and feared a keeper of the one of the Thanes or the hearts of the Feywild or whatever. So like very powerful, um, very feared. Definitely isn't just doing everything out of the goodness of her heart, but maybe, maybe Fern is her soft spot, her weakness, and maybe she really does care about Fern. Um, that's I will just, say Ashley Johnson must be giddy with how much detail she continuously reveals that she has conveniently left out because they asked her like what is what does morgan look like like what's she what's she like and she's like oh she's tall and tall is a very <laughs> i don't know if we got i mean you missed the whole like mouth on yeah, her stomach um but i even think about the when fern's telling ren where to go and it's like yeah the ligament manner and travis is like like <laughs> what? you freaking like give me a break i can't be holding this stuff from us um, so I think I, it kind of makes me wish I could go back and just see all the things that Fern has said about her backstory. Cause it almost seems a bit, not, I wouldn't say not quite tongue in cheek, but like untrust. Like I think about her, her, her three pets her animals that she was friends with. Mm -hmm. And now seeing how like twisted this area is, I, I don't envision like a cute cuddly bear anymore yeah I, she, yeah she even brought one up right um i forgot with mr nesbitt or something like that but there yeah. was like this huge beast that took off from a tree and she's like oh mr nesbitt and it's like wait what that yeah. was that's what that is yeah so, so yeah. yeah i'm really curious what's and, it, and here's what's tough about it there's the angle of fern either fern or ashley johnson being purposely vague about details and then there's the whole other angle of fern being unreliable because of how morgan has groomed her manipulated her and maybe modified her memory which right begin to recap really quick in exandria unlimited season one we found out that her memory had been basically modified by morgan what she thought was not what had happened um and we seem to have similarly some mind manipulation from presumably the Nightmare King to her parents, but maybe her their interaction with Morgan, the same thing happened. Yeah. Um, we don't quite know. So it's tough. Those two things together make a very difficult to parse set of story points. Yeah. And there's also the potential element of, you know, she she and Matt had these three like bullet points of what they're starting with or what ashley johnson is aware of and then he has taken that and run any t number of right. ways so right. you know yeah it's very very interesting and uh like we've talked about before this is one of the things i've been most excited to, to dive deeper on so really excited for for next episode hopefully getting some not that we're going to get all the answers spelled out but just to see more of morgan yeah yeah okay anything else i don't think so man okay um, well guys, let us know what you thought about the episode, your favorite thoughts and theories. We want to know about it, put it in the comments below. Uh, feel free to check out some of our other content, the last of us, uh, legend of Vox Machina season two out this weekend. And, uh, we'll be here for it. Oh so, yeah. Um, sorry. I should have mentioned this at the beginning, but if you made it this far in the video, you're probably actually interested in this. So, uh, season two, uh, I don't know when yet. Cause I don't know if it's dropping on the same schedule that it did for season one. But uh, join our Discord if you haven't already, because if you're interested, we're, I'm going to be uh, watching it in there. and We can all watch it together. Uh, season two of Vox Machina, I mean. 
Um, so if that all if that at all interests you, check out the Discord. You can definitely find out more there once we have more information on when it's dropping and stuff. So yeah, come join us uh, to watch and help me find the Easter eggs and stuff for the breakdowns. Yeah, uh, thumbnail. Thumbnail. I don't know. Uh, I was thinking like Maybe Morgan, of- but I don't know how that. Oh, okay. Or what were you thinking? <laughs> I was thinking one of us being like more ludinous, and the person being Sumal. Okay. Yeah. No, I like that. Like, uh, you know, like um, I don't know. Here's my switch case, so I could be like, here. Okay. Know. Yeah. A uh, little higher. For yeah. The switch case. All right. Okay. So I'll Maybe be ludinous. Yeah, that's fine. it's good enough we'll find we'll find something yeah yeah all right guys well that's it we'll catch you later see y'all